Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. I'm ready! Alrighty then. What is up, my millennial fam? My name is Giacomo Thalay, and thank you for joining us today on Millennial Nostalgia on the Believe Podcast Network. Your number one stop for all things 90s and early 2000s nostalgia. Now let's grab a bucket of popcorn and go to the movies! I'm talking about 1987's The Brave Little Toaster. So I just said 1987. That doesn't fall into the 90s and early 2000s that I promised. Hear me out. This movie aired almost nonstop throughout the early 90s. And at the time, at least for my personal recollection, this was just a chill, easy-to-watch movie about some appliances walking around, trying to find their master, and going on some colorful adventures with a cast of wild and interesting characters. And that concept isn't, like, too far off from, like, most other animated movies. But here's the difference between other films and this one. The Brave Little Toaster did it first. If you didn't have The Brave Little Toaster, we might not have Toy Story. We might not have WALL-E. We might not have other animated films from Pixar. And I say Pixar specifically because watching The Brave Little Toaster, it felt like I was watching a Pixar movie. The formula that Pixar uses in all of its movies is super present here in The Brave Little Toaster. And, you know, that's not a coincidence. Let me explain. John Lasseter, who is one of the main pioneers of Pixar, one of the founders and also the director of Toy Story, was working for Disney Animation at the time. And when Disney acquired the rights to the book The Brave Little Toaster, he had the idea to turn it into a CG animated film. This was the first time that Disney was approached about doing some animation that wasn't hand-drawn. This was way back in 1982, so the concept of doing computer animation in favor of hand-drawn at the time was ludicrous. Lasseter was dismissed from the project, and it went into limbo until a smaller subsidiary of Disney picked it up to make it on a very shoestring budget in comparison to Disney's bigger films at the time. And that allowed the filmmakers so much creative freedom, they were not constricted to the confines of Disney. Granted, Disney did have some money in it and already had the rights to put it on the Disney Channel, but it was really the filmmakers who were setting out not just to make any other animated movie. They didn't want to just make a cartoon. So everything from the score, to the writing, to the directing, to the style of animation, to the pacing, Everything was done with the intention of not just making a cartoon, but making a film, making a real film. They wanted to make something that was accessible to everyone without, quote unquote, dumbing things down. And the result is truly evident when you watch it. Now, I grew up watching this movie quite a bit. I knew it pretty much verbatim. I knew all the characters. As a child, I loved the sequels as well. But... The other day, I watched it for the first time in probably over a decade, and it really felt like I was watching it for the first time. A lot of the themes and plot elements and the way it's paced and animated and acted and the way that the characters interact with each other, a lot of it shared similarities with films that wouldn't come around until nearly a decade later. 
primarily the ones from Pixar. And as we talk about the movie today, um, we'll see some of those similarities. So now that we talked a little bit about the history, let's watch the movie. Now, one of the things that makes this film unlike a lot of other animated movies at the time is how it begins. Most animated movies started off really colorful and full of life with some joyous music. The Brave Little Toaster starts with dark images of the woods and fog revealing an old abandoned house. And that's how it starts. So we're introduced to our main characters. The radio, who is super chatty, always making quick one-liners, and pop culture references from, like, the 50s or whatever era he's from. At the top of the news this morning, there's monkey business in Utah. Oh, seriously now, it seems that a band of renegade chimpanzees have kidnapped the Pulitzer Prize-winning poet Lester Charles. The Blanket, Blanky, who is a childlike character and kind of serves as the little brother in the family dynamic of all the appliances. I don't like to work without the master. The vacuum cleaner's name is Kirby, and he's your typical grumpy, old, like, curmudgeon guy who just doesn't want to be bothered, and everyone in the house just annoys him. I don't understand how chores could be fun. Not supposed to be fun. It's work. Then there's Lampy, the lamp. Um, he's not the brightest lamp in you know, all senses of the word. What's going on? Who turned out the light? But, you know, he gets by. And, of course, we have our toaster, the brave little toaster, who kind of serves as the ringleader for all these guys. He's pretty much the head honcho. He's the one that distributes all the chores. He's the one that kind of keeps everyone in line. If you guys don't want to work, why don't we play a game? A game? What sort of a game? What are the rules? There's only one rule. You can't stop till the house is clean. It's kind of like he's the eldest sibling looking over all of his family. So the filmmakers have now lured you in with a false sense of security, seeing these like colorful, cute characters with little Richard's tutti fruity playing as all the characters are enjoying their chores and having the most fun time dancing around. Quiet! It's the blanket! So what happens is the blanket thinks that their old master who moved away as a kid is coming back. He hears a car and he has this vision that the master's coming back to take all the appliances with them wherever he is. They are waiting day in and day out for their old master to come home. And today ain't their day. <laughs> The air conditioner is the first of many creepy characters that we're going to meet in the movie. The AC is like a Jack Nicholson type who is talking down on all the other appliances because they have their hopes up that the master, after all these years, is going to come back to get him. What is it with you guys anyway? You act like you just came off the assembly line. Now get this through your chrome. We've been dumped. Abandoned. But he loved us. And it's during this discussion with all the appliances that the AC has a mental breakdown. He has a serious sort of existential crisis that leads him to literally self-destruct and die. 
I'm not an invalid. I was designed to stick in a wall. I like being stuck in this stupid wall. It's my function! Don't! Wait! Wait! That is your first inclination that this movie might not be your typical animated movie. Yeah, Disney has gotten dark with their content before, but never to this sort of psychological level. But it's really the air conditioner's metaphorical and literal breakdown that sets the motions of the plot forward. The toaster is the leading advocate for all the appliances, saying, yes, we still do have a purpose. Don't listen to the air conditioner. We are going to go find the master if he's not going to come find us. We're going to go out and find the master. To the city? Yeah, no matter what. Thus, we begin the adventure of the brave little toaster. Now, earlier in the podcast, I mentioned that I was going to be drawing comparisons between the brave little toaster and some of the more modern Disney Pixar films. And the first one right out the gate is the fact that this movie takes place in the same location for little over 20 minutes of its running time. Now, for an animated movie to stay that still, even in today's animated movie climate, is remarkable. And not even Pixar would do that until 2008's WALL-E, where the first third of that film is pretty much silent and takes place in one location. So already we are seeing these elements that other films seem to have borrowed. It's also worth noting on the topic of Pixar, um, I forgot to mention earlier who this film was written by. One of the co-writers on this film was the late Joe Ranf. Joe Ranf was one of the pioneers of Pixar, um, one of the most influential figures in creating the stories that we've come to know and love. Specifically, writing the screenplay not only for The Brave Little Toaster, but also Toy Story. Now, at the time... Yes, there had been like animations of inanimate objects coming to life, but never an entire feature based around that concept. And it wasn't a concept that we would see again until 1995 with Toy Story. And the coincidences between story elements between The Brave Little Toaster and not just the first Toy Story, but all four Toy Story films, uh, I think that's just kind of hard to ignore. And I noticed it right away as I was watching this film. Inanimate objects having an attachment to their owner and them doing whatever it takes to get back to them. That's The Brave Little Toaster, or is that Toy Story? It's both of them. The songs in The Brave Little Toaster aren't just arbitrary musical numbers. They, in my opinion, are kind of segues between the different tones and emotions and themes that we experience during the film. The first musical number, uh, City of Light, is your typical big, bright, bouncy, wistful song about the appliances going out to the big, grand world and finding success in locating their master. Time shine by in the city of light. Time stands still in the country. And I'd be satisfied just to be, not denied, to reside with some pride when I ride to the city, the city of light. 
So at this point in the movie, we are at a hopeful high. This is the beginning of the grand adventure. Nothing can go wrong because we are persistent in our vision and we're gonna see this to the very end. That's the feeling that this song is meant to give you. We get to a part that as a kid confused me, but now as an adult, I really see what they were doing. And it's so clever. I'm referring to the scene with all of the woodland critters in the forest. The appliances meet all of these cute, cuddly animals in the forest. They're doing a big dance and song number. And it just seems like your typical cute Disney kitty thing that you would throw in a movie. But there's a little difference here. We are not watching that kind of movie. And the filmmakers really hammer in the point of that during this scene. Normally, like, a character in that position would be interacting with the animals, frolicking, having fun. The toaster looks pissed and annoyed that these animals are crawling all over him and just distracting them from their adventure. He even, like, tells them to get away. Get out of here! And the complete and total contrast comes in the following scene. Uh, when the toaster tries to get away from all of these cute little critters, he encounters a lone flower. It's just growing by itself. And the flower sees its reflection in the toaster and thinks it's another flower. Like, oh my gosh, I'm not the only one anymore. No, no, it's just a reflection. I'm not a flower. So the toaster just lets it know like, hey, I'm not a flower, to which the flower just gets really, really sad. And the toaster walks away, but not before looking back. And when he looks back, he sees that the flower is dead. And it really gets the toaster thinking, and it's not explicitly said, it never is, but you can always see it in his face. The toaster sees himself in that flower even more so than the flower literally seeing himself in the reflection of the toaster. The, the flower is a reflection of the toaster. That scene contrasted with the, the bright and colorful crap that was happening right before it, that is brilliant filmmaking technique telling you that the movie you thought you were watching, that ain't it. This is some real ass-ish that we are dealing with. Now, I bet you weren't thinking I would get super deep when, in a talk about the Brave Little Toaster, and neither did I. Um, which is why I said, like, this is like me watching the film for the first time. I never grasped onto those themes, onto those visual metaphors as a child. It's something that came to me later on in life uh, through film studies and watching other movies, specifically the Pixar one. That sort of existential crisis really wouldn't be super explored in animation again until Toy Story. Toy Story had that similar message. If I am a toy with no kid to play with me, what, what am I doing here? And that is explored in all the Toy Story films. But back to the visual metaphor with the flower, the thing that really is significant about this scene is that it comes a good chunk of the way into the film. The toaster has already left the comforts of home and is on this adventure and he has this thought that if they cannot find the master, then is it their destiny to go the way of the AC and just cease to exist? And that's really like the theme that pushes this story forward. So not only does the toaster feel sort of lost in the literal sense of not knowing where they're at and just 
trusting their gut to find the master. But he's also feeling kind of lost inside, too. And that goes for a lot of the characters in the film. Uh, speaking of the characters, I kind of want to talk about their interactions with each other because this is something I found very interesting. Unlike a lot of other animated movies at the time, the main characters in this are actually kind of jerks to each other. You know, guys, we are going to need some kind of shelter. Yeah, shelter from the likes of them. Come over here and say that, Chrome Dome. What? Oh, sorry about that. I meant to say vacuous vacuum. This is typically not the kinds of friends that you get in this sort of movie. This was done deliberately to give the appliances a more relatable feel. If everyone is just bright and chipper through everything, that's not exactly something that most people can grasp onto. It's something that's ideal. Is it realistic? Not really. The next time we would see an animated film with those kinds of characters front and center, can you guess what it is? Toy Story. Woody and Buzz bicker and are jerks to each other throughout a majority of the movie. And I've read that even in earlier drafts of Toy Story, Woody was even meaner. He was even more unlikable than he is in the first Toy Story. Disney didn't even have these kinds of characters in their movies until like Phil from Hercules, who's kind of a jerk to Hercules the whole time, and Mushu in Mulan, who kind of gets a little testy with her as well. And personally, yeah, I think it does ground the characters. Even if they aren't human, they are still characters that we are following. We're on the adventure with them. We should be able to relate to them in some way, shape, or form. And I love that about this movie. It doesn't shy away from that. It, the other thing it doesn't shy away from, getting really dark and creepy. I am, of course, talking about the scene where the toaster has a nightmare. And it's this terrifying vision of the toaster pretty much being chased by this evil firefighter clown Run. who is doing everything in his power to kill him. He's shooting water at him. He's shooting forks. It's like dangling him over a bathtub. The imagery in this movie gets really intense at times, and I love that it goes there. This is definitely a product of the 80s. Um, a lot of kids' films didn't shy away from the dark during then. Uh, the Goonies, Return to Oz, Labyrinth, Gremlins. There's a lot of them. And I'm fairly certain that this scene is responsible for the fear of clowns in a lot of millennials. Please let me know if it is. So I'll just fast forward a little bit through this next part. The, the appliances, they continue through the woods get lost even more, come to a dead end at a waterfall, fall down the waterfall, and they find themselves sinking to their death in quicksand. Blanky, can you let go? Try to untie yourself. And I always felt it so creepy, the way that the blanket responds to sinking to its death. I'm not scared. That's just so ominous, and it's like... The blanket has accepted its fate. It cannot go any longer. It is going to just accept death. And that is like a turning point in the movie. They have lost all hope. This is the way that they go. So long, master. Until a hand picks them out of the muck. And that hand belongs to the owner of like a pawn shop. So they're taken to this pawn shop. It seems like everything's going to go their way. They're getting cleaned up and repaired until they make a stark realization. This isn't like a pawn shop. It's actually 
a spare parts store where this dude guts like old machines for their parts. There's this scene where you just see the silhouette of the dude taking apart one of the machines and with the oil like dripping down like blood. And it's this imagery, this idea that this these inanimate objects do have life and just these everyday things that we do that we think are just harmless, you know, day by day activities are actually like viciously murdering them. And this is something that's explored way later on in a Pixar parody, Sausage Party. In that movie, it was everyday like groceries, like food and toilet paper, um, living these lives of torment being eaten and used by humans. And it's kind of like a similar concept to the Brave Little Toaster. And it's almost like, again, another Toy Story comparison. This part shop owner tearing apart all of these appliances and like actually visually getting some enjoyment out of it is reminiscent of Sid from Toy Story, who would destroy and dismantle toys and make them into these weird mutated like trash monsters. And one of my favorite parts in the movie, probably my second favorite song, is the one that happens in this scene. It's signifying that the Brave Little Toaster and his friends have made it through the forest or done with that part of the journey, but now here comes the dangers of society, of human beings. The people that they sought out to be around are now trying to kill them. These old appliances uh, sing this creepy little song for them. Just try to relax. It's the House of Wax. So the way that these guys get out of this predicament is they pretty much band together and scare the store owner. <laughs> Which is not unlike the way that the toys in Toy Story banded together to take down Sid. I'm seeing so many of these parallels. If you really think about it, Pixar follows the same formula. Either two or more people who don't see eye to eye have to go on this journey together, overcome their differences, and become friends and learn a meaningful lesson by the adventure's end. That's pretty much every Pixar movie ever made. This is what I believe to be the animated movie that started that plot structure in animated films. Now, of course, we would see this in live action, but because animation was primarily seen as kid stuff, um, those kinds of relationships between characters probably wouldn't have been ideal role models. And yes, we've had animated movies where the main characters come in conflict with each other, but never was that a driving force between their interpersonal relationships within the context of the movie. And that's something that really wasn't done a lot in animated films before The Brave Little Toaster and not again until Toy Story. Finally, we see that the master is all grown up and before he heads out to college, he wants to show his girlfriend his old childhood home. Oh, that's probably Chris. We're going out to the cabin today and pick up like the old lamp and radio and stuff. I can use them at the dorm. So the master is going back home to where the appliances just left. And the appliances are finally in the city and find the master's home. But he's not there because he went to where they just left. So we have that kind of touch and go between the main characters and the character that they're after. 
So like I said, the appliances find themselves at the master's new apartment, and they're surrounded by all of these new appliances, a computer, new lamps, sound systems, pretty much everything that was new when this movie came out in the 80s. And it's so cool to see an animated movie taking place in the present of when the film was being made. That's something that's sort of common now, but back then it really wasn't. Disney didn't do that until Oliver and Company, which came out a year after The Brave Little Toaster. And it wasn't done again until Toy Story in 95. The song that these appliances sing to them, pretty much rubbing it into the face of the old appliances that they're not needed anymore. Technology is moving forward and the ways of the past are irrelevant. From LEDs to CRTs, woofers, tweeters, antenna trees, and ultra nine life of ease. This is the part of the film where the brave little toaster and all of his friends are shipped off to a scrapyard where these cars are getting mutilated and crushed and not only like literally, but emotionally. All these cars that are about to be destroyed are reflecting on their lives for better or for worse and just realizing at the end of the day, no matter what they did in their lives, all hope is gone for them and they feel worthless, which is the name of the song. I can't take this kind of pressure. I must confess one more dusty road it would be just a road too long. The hopelessness of the cars in the junkyard are a stark contrast to the Brave Little Toaster's whole motivation for going on this quest. He is now seeing all of this and really reflecting on it, thinking, okay, maybe there is no hope. Maybe we are worthless. Maybe this junkyard is where we belong because that's exactly what we are, trash. This giant magnet is like picking up these old dilapidated cars and dropping them into this trash compactor where they're smushed into little cubes and their parts go flying everywhere. Every car seems to be singing about the experiences they had. And a car can't have those experiences without a driver. So the concerns and the qualms and all of these really like serious issues that the cars are singing about are nothing more than just reflections of their owners. And it just comes back to that motif of reflection. There's all these stories going on. Um, the one that I found like the most just like thought provoking and kind of eerie was the hearse. Cause a hearse carries a bunch of dead bodies around and the car even sings about it. I took a man to a graveyard. There's an old truck that was kind of left behind by its family because it wasn't of any use to them anymore. I worked on a reservation. Who would believe they would love me and leave on a bus back to old Santa Fe? And that truck itself could be a metaphor for an elderly person feeling that their family no longer 
needs them because they're just too much to take care of, not unlike an old truck. And, you know, it's pretty much just counting the days until it's no longer with us. It's worthless now. Once in an Indian nation, I took the kids on the skids with the hope he was happy to lie and say, you're worthless. And it's like the stories of these cars is something that ties into the entire theme of the film of purpose. And this is the turning point in the movie where, again, getting back to how the songs tie in with the tone and the mood at any given time. This is a signal that we are at endgame and there's nothing else they could do. Meanwhile, the master goes back to the old house, fixes the AC, and realizes that all of his favorite appliances are gone. So he really was coming back for them. And by the time that the TV alerts him that they're at the junkyard, he gets there and they're pretty much being hunted down by that giant magnet that's just gonna destroy them. And the master sees this and jumps onto the conveyor belt trying to save his cherished childhood things. And that action within itself really it got me thinking that going back to the motif of reflections, the toaster wants to be reunited with his master because the master reminds him of a simpler time where there was nothing wrong, there was no change, and no uncertainty in the future. The only thing that mattered was the here and now. The master is trying to find the toaster because the toaster reminds him of a simpler time, a time where all he had to worry about was to be a kid and now he's making a major leap forward going into college, going into the quote-unquote real world. And now he has to deal with this whole uncertainty. Is he gonna have purpose? He doesn't know what lies ahead for him, but he's going for it anyway, much like the toaster did in the beginning of the story. You see where how these, how these things are parallel? I know this is something that you can see in other films, but the fact that it happens in an animated movie from 1987 is something that really like got to me now. That's something that I personally haven't seen done really well just until like recently with, you know, shows like Steven Universe and the whole thing about all the cars and their owners and just how no matter how happy or sad you are, the sad fact of like death is approaching all of us. So really is life worthless? Is it really? That's something that doesn't even get brought up in family-oriented entertainment. It's a very, like, real topic that doesn't even get addressed in a lot of things geared at adults. The fact that these topics are being discussed with these cute animated characters is something that was pretty unprecedented at the time. It wasn't kid stuff. It was universal. Pretty much a kid or an adult could identify with it. But... At the end of the day, the movie is called The Brave Little Toaster. So, of course, life is not worthless. He persists. So when the master comes to save all of them, he puts his life on the line to get his childhood back. Well, that's my radio. Hey, Chris. Oh, all right, in the lamp. No, these are mine. Let, let go. Whoa, whoa. And the toaster ends up having to sacrifice his own life in order to save the master. 
He does this by jumping into the gears to stop the giant trash compactor from smushing the master and all the other appliances. In the end, the toaster, through his selfless act, saves the day. He, in turn, gets fixed. And all of the appliances go to college with the master and live on their lives happily ever after. Until the sequels, but we don't need to talk about those. So that was The Brave Little Toaster. And if you're like me, it wasn't until you were an adult or even just right now listening to my podcast that you realized really how deep the concepts and themes of the film really are. Heavy themes like abandonment and self-worth. And The Brave Little Toaster explores these themes in a way that you couldn't do in live action. And it was a trailblazer because other films since then have explored deep concepts that could otherwise not be explored with live action. Movies like Inside Out, Up, Pixar's upcoming movie Soul looks like it's doing it beautifully as well. And of course, we can't forget the Toy Story quadrology. The Toy Story movies owe an enormous debt of gratitude to the Brave Little Toaster. Not only did people who went on to found Pixar work on that film, they borrowed so much, and so many people out there don't know it. So if anyone out there from Disney is listening to this podcast, please consider remastering the Brave Little Toaster for Disney+. Plus. This film is extremely hard to find. Um, the quality is not that great, even if you buy the DVD, which I have. And I think it's just a shame to let this movie go by the wayside. The direct-to-video sequels, oddly enough, are on Disney+. Plus. Who wants to watch The Brave Little Toaster Goes to Mars? Not me. Are there any other movies that came out on Disney Channel that you remember that you'd like me to talk about on the show at some point? Send me a message on Instagram or a tweet on Twitter, at Giacomo Thalay. That's at G-I-A-C-O-M-O-T-H-I. L-L-E-T. Also remember to follow Believe Podcasts on all social media platforms. That's at B-L-E-A-V Podcasts. Thanks again for going to the movies with me, my millennial fam. This is Giacomo Thalay signing off until next Throwback Thursday. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.